Exactly. It's on our terms. It's, it, it does end up being more work, but I guess ultimately what I'm, what I really would like is for all these sort of companies to be able to, to get passed down to the next person. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back to Where Should I Invest? This is Sarah Larby and we've got another awesome podcast episode for you with one of my business partners and uh, he's actually agreed to be on my podcast. I think we've tried to record this many times before and uh, he did a great job, but uh, Lee Polak is very, very low key, which I love. And this is his first podcast ever, guys. So I'm super honored that he was on and uh, he's one of my business partners and we've actually bought a ton of deals together, probably eight or nine and counting. Actually, I think it's eight and we have one under contract. So we'll see what happens since March. And, and him and Ken Beckendam and myself partnered together and we are doing a lot of really cool conversion projects in Hamilton and Welland and bringing in some JV partners along the way. And a lot of them are three and four unit conversions. And then one is a large building that we are converting into 22 residential units. And we've got a big one under contract too. So we will see what happens. We've got 45 days of due diligence time. By the time you're hearing this, it's probably going to be close to the end of due diligence, but it's fun. It's actually really fun. And I'm really enjoying my summer. I'm at the cottage the majority of the time. And I come down and check in on some of their projects that we're doing for like probably like a day or day and a half every single week, which I, I actually like the mix of the two, right? The mix of like being able to be at the cottage and have people up and then also going back and like doing deals and making things happen. And in hindsight, I don't know if I would want to be at the cottage the entire summer 100% of the time. I think it's a nice mix to be able to go back and forth and it's close enough that we can. So it's funny in the beginning, I'm like, I am not coming back for anything. But then we're like getting some cool projects and like we've got like lunch with the JVs or we've got like some like outings and Ken bought an awesome boat. So like there's lots of really cool fun things also happening in the city. So it's kind of like that catch 22. Do I stay up here and enjoy my boat up here and the cottage or do I come down? And I think it's finding that mix of doing things that you enjoy on both sides, relaxing, having your friends up, having good food, good drinks, boating, the water, the cottage, and then mixing that in with doing transactions, making deals happen. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's the life of the real estate investor that just has goals and loves it and is, has a passion for it. And maybe that's just where I'm at. <laughs> maybe that's where I need to be is just having that mix of the two. It's a good balance. Anyway, so Lee has, I don't know, and he's probably got a hundred plus units, but he's very super humble about it. Super awesome. Is an investor, also has his own contracting business with 20, 20 plus people, employees, has a property management company. So we're doing a lot of really cool stuff together and I wanted to bring him on so he can share some of what he's doing. And then also we have a conversation around like even some of the big things that you would find as an investor, right? Asbestos or mold or water issues or, you know, what to do. And if 
they're actually a big problem or not. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Reach out to him. I mean, obviously he's in in specific areas. He's not everywhere in Canada. Um, But if you do have a project that you are looking to get a quote on or a contractor to do the work, reach out to him. Or if you're looking to partner on some future projects, let us know. And again, we are selective. But we're also selective on not only the the JVs that we bring in, because it has to be a win-win for everybody, but also the projects themselves, especially as things are changing. It's just important to make deals work with being conservative along the way. And so I hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to leave a rating and review. And before we go on to our podcast, let's find out what is important to know in the financing world with today's tip of the week. Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. And on today's episode, I would like to shed light on a financing tool that you may not be aware of and that can help you manage your portfolio cash flow during rising rates. The next Bank of Canada rate announcement, which is expected to be another increase, is scheduled for September the 7th, 2022. So you may want to consider this tool prior to such an increase. We all know that when the Bank of Canada raises the overnight interest rate, that has a direct impact on prime rates, which impact floating rate mortgages. Most payments associated with floating rate mortgages will increase as prime increases. But did you know that there are options with floating rate mortgages where the payment can remain constant, but what changes is how much of that payment goes towards interest versus principal? Basically, as rates rise, more goes towards interest. The only exception is when rates soar so much that you are not paying all the interest and the payment has to adjust to cover the interest due. The term variable rate is often used interchangeably for floating rate mortgages, but from a technical standpoint, a product where the payment changes as the rates change is called an adjustable rate mortgage. A product where the payment remains constant as the rates change is called a variable rate mortgage. Whether you choose a variable or an adjustable rate, it is pay me now or pay me later when it comes to payments as prime changes. In one case, you keep your monthly payments stable, but because you are directing more of the payment to interest as rates rise, you will owe more money on the mortgage relative to an adjustable rate at the end of the term. With an adjustable rate mortgage, you will stay on track with respect to paying the loan over the originally planned amortization as the payment adjusts with interest adjustments to ensure that you're still paying off principal. There is likely another 1.5% of overnight rate increases baked into the system between now and the end of 2022 up to 2023 before the Bank of Canada puts the brakes on rate increases. So if you're in an adjustable rate mortgage, every half a point increase will increase $100,000 of mortgage by about $25. If you can afford the monthly increase and your objective is to stay the course with paying down the mortgage, then stick with the adjustable rate mortgage. If you are concerned about the payment exceeding your budget or significantly impacting your cash flow, let's connect and discuss if a variable rate mortgage 
is the right tool for you or if you should consider other strategies such as extending the amortization or clear, clearing some expensive debts that you may have. One of our senior advisors at Streetwise Mortgages would be happy to help you explore your options. You may reach us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Awesome, Dahlia. Thank you. That was great insight. And guys, reach out to Streetwise Mortgages for any financing help. And now let's bring on Lee Pollock from Wise Construction. Lee, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I will say this is one of only two podcasts that I'm doing this summer. So it was you and then I interviewed somebody very, very high up at RBC. But thank you for being on the show. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm compatible. I'm comparing with the RBC people. <laughs> yeah, awesome. exactly. Well, I wanted to bring you on because obviously we're doing a lot of projects together and it's, it's, it's interesting because now I actually have an office space at your office. So you an office and a fridge and, and, oh my God, you guys got me a wine fridge. That was awesome. I'm like, okay, I'll come to the office, not in the summer, but starting in September, if I get a wine fridge and like, you guys totally called my bluff and got me a wine fridge. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you started by you're not coming, you're, you're off for the summer and you've, you've kind of been, you've been out, you've been, you've been over to the office a fair bit. You've been, out, been with us for, we've been doing a lot of stuff together. Yeah, for sure. So I think it was only fair to bring you and, and introduce you to the audience. I mean, we've been doing a bunch of projects, a lot of really fun stuff. And I will tell you, if it wasn't fun and, and productive, I would still be fully at the cottage. But I do come down, I, I want to say two days a week uh, to, to look at some of the projects that we're working on. And so I wanted to bring you on so you can introduce yourself to, to my listeners and, uh, and we'll go from there. So obviously you're a contractor, but you're also a real estate investor. And one of the things I really like about you is that you are very humble and you are, I think this is the first podcast you've ever done. And you've really said yes to me three, four more times before you actually did it. So I'm excited. We're actually doing a podcast. But why don't we start by you giving us a little bit of background on who you are? Oh boy. Okay. So who am I? Well, I guess I started um, <clears throat> started investing in, in real estate a while back and progressed to, to wanting to start my own construction company. So started that a while back as well and kind of a property management company as well. But mostly the property management company is really for, for just my in-house projects and, and, and partners, stuff like that. But yeah, so that's been doing it for a while now. And that's kind of married kids in the motorcycles, cars, love cooking. Uh, that's kind of me. Okay. All right. Very cool. So one of the things I really like is that you've got everything in-house, right? So not only are you a real estate investor, but you simplify uh, a lot of what you're doing by bringing in trades in-house, bringing in property management in-house. Why going that route versus, let's just talk about you as a contractor first, versus bringing in subs? So we still do use subs. We just use subs for us very specific tasks. I don't use contractors for whole jobs. We started, so being in construction for, I don't know, a long time and doing many, many different projects over, I don't know, probably 20, 20 plus years anyways, everything from, from new builds to large, large CapEx work for some very large property management and RIT companies. And also for the investment community, custom homes as well. It, I guess it came down to control, really, at the end of the day. And control being that if you can get yourself a group of guys, well, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, basically, that are skilled and some not so skilled, 
uh, you can control the process and the outcome a lot better. It just requires a little bit more, I guess, uh, management on, on the people side of stuff. But so we started doing that. I started doing that a while back and I always had better luck at it than working with contractors. I found with the contractors, if we were working with them, if they weren't hundred percent loyal to you, they were taking other people's jobs. We were constantly being told they would be done on a Friday and then the following Friday and then so forth and so on. So we decided to just do everything kind of in-house. So we roughly think we're about 20 people or so warehouse. We stock, we stock a lot of materials, not everything, but like mostly we stock pretty much all of our finishing materials. A lot of our building materials, we stock almost kind of almost everything except for drywall and lumber. Trades, we use the same group of electricians and plumbers, HVAC trades, but we also have our own in-house plumber now. Mm-hmm. So it's been going, it's been going well. Awesome. So you've got 20 plus employees, you control the labor, you control the, where they're going, when they're going to, to which job. So you have, I'm, I'm, I love control. I mean, I, I love being able to dictate as much as possible to especially when things could go sideways or things can take longer. So it's good that you've got your people in in place. You've got a property management company in place. And I think it was one of the big decision factors on when we started talking and and Ken as well, Ken, I've known for five, five plus years, Ken Beckendam and the three of us started talking, but it made a lot of sense to do projects together. For me, from my standpoint, it was about the stuff that I'm not as good at. You're excellent at like all the, the, all the construction piece, all of the, that part of it can go really wrong very fast as a real estate investor. We've all, we've all been there where we've had to fire contractors in the past, or we've had to wait X amount of extra weeks for the contractor to start, or their project was delayed or over budget and whatnot, because they don't have a whole grasp on being able to keep it in house. And I'm not saying that that's never going to happen with, with wise construction, but you have a lot more control, which I actually really like. It, It works for us. We, I mean, we still hit issues and uh, we don't always hit the deadlines. We're usually not far off from it. One thing that we do is we have, we have a, a pretty good in-house admin staff. Well, Sarah and I, we have, well, we have our own admin staff now for, for our projects, but for investors projects, clients projects and, and the wise group, we'll call it, uh, we have our project coordinators, uh, project, proper project managers. Uh, we have in-house delivery uh, I think I got two full-time, two full, two full-time delivery uh, drivers now, uh, kind of back and forward doing runs from our shop, supplier shops, job sites. So yeah, it's it's kind of the scheduling is a, is a big part of it. So we're kind of operating pretty pretty smooth these days. Mm-hmm. How many projects? Just curious, are you taking on at once? Like how many could you take on? So I have a problem with saying no. <laughs> yeah, but we. So we finished so far this year, I shouldn't say this year, sorry, not this year, but we finished since I want to say maybe November, December, we've, we've already completed 30, about 30 jobs, not all massive jobs. Some of them are are smaller, uh, install flooring, smaller bathroom, like custom bathroom jobs, installing kitchens and stuff like that. So not all big conversion jobs. Conversion jobs right now, I think we have, we, we definitely have more than, well, I don't want to tell the exact number, but we have more than 20, less than 40 on the go, say that. <laughs> and some of them are pretty big. Some of them are actually larger building conversions, which we, 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 we like to think we specialize in much more of the heavy lifting stuff, the more complicated projects. We've just been doing it for so long. We feel more comfortable doing it. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, I, I think that's where the money is going to be in the next few years. It's got to be conversions. I mean, other than the people's primary residences or if they're converting a, a cottage from a three season to four season, but the majority of what's going to make sense, especially in rising interest rate times is going to be adding more units, trying to lift that value and get the cash flow. Back in the day, I used to do these in singles and doubles and or singles and duplexes, and it just doesn't work anymore. We've, got, doesn't work. we've got to go into the three and four and multi-units in order to make the numbers work on exit where there's still cash flow. I agree 100%. It's getting into the, the, multi, the multi-family space, the bigger, the bigger buildings. There's, there's, I don't know, there's a lot more options. There's way more like kind of financing opportunities, exit opportunities. It's just a better overall playing field for, for, for me. I know that we've, we've now, we've now partnered up and, and, and bought something that we're, we're working on. So we got, we got a pretty nice project that, that we're doing. We have some other stuff on the go as well. You and I, I think we've bought what it, we actually counted today. We said what, eight projects, seven projects. Eight projects. Uh, it's eight. And then we have a ninth. We have, yeah, we have a ninth, potentially a ninth. A big nine. Uh, we've got not, what, one under the con- under contract that could be 30 plus units. But aside from that, I mean, that's still under contract. But aside from that, we've got eight others. Eight others, yeah. And that we've purchased since, I think we were saying since March, right? When we were looking back since yeah. March. So we didn't, we didn't buy in the crazy, crazy like height of the market in January, February when like everything was going nuts. But I, I think March, March was still pretty high. However, I think we found some really good deals because we buy the crap and the shit that nobody wants, which is like how you make money. Right. I mean, provided that you can convert it. We, yeah. So we, I want to say, yeah, pretty much March. So we have all of like, let's say March, April, May, June, college. I saw like four in between four and five months. We've kind of jumped on, what do we say? Eight projects. Yeah. One being a 15,000 square foot space we're converting into 22 residential units. So one big project and then the rest are like four, three and four unit conversions. That's pretty good, I think. No, I think it's good from <laughs> from you being like, "Hey, we should like do some projects together." To me saying, "You know what? Like, let me like chill out the summer." And I still am chilling out. Like, I'm at the cottage recording this right now, and this is my second podcast this summer, so I'm not really complaining. But like, it is pretty good. It is pretty good to to be able to acquire some good properties that actually make sense with. And I think you still pivoted a little bit in this market. Because now we've got some, some opportunities, I think, to turn some of these units into some midterm rentals and bring in more cash flow, which is something else we're looking at. But I'm actually excited. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun to do these deals. It's fun that like the part that I'm not very good at, which is the whole construction piece, you're overseeing all of that, which is great. <laughs> so I can still delegate and enjoy my summers. <laughs> It's, it's working. It's, it's working out so far. It's a pretty awesome partnership. So we're uh, we're bringing some good people to the table, doing some pretty cool things. We're having I don't know about you, but I'm having having a pretty good time doing this. Yeah, no, it's fun for sure. We're bringing in some JV partners and some investors that don't want to be so active and they want to be passive and still take part of the excitement and, and get a piece of the pie. And so we've been doing that, and I think it's a good win-win for everybody for sure. Where So from a construction standpoint, I know we're looking a lot in Hamilton while in personally for us, but from a construction standpoint for like where you go to, what are like the areas there? Like, is it all of Ontario? Because somebody might be listening from Thunder Bay or is it a portion of the GTA? So kind of a portion right now of the GTA, but it really depends on the project, depends on the client. Mostly we stick to the Hamilton and Welland. We're doing a lot of Brantford as well. 
we are kind of doing everything along that corridor out towards Welland. Don't really want to step into St. Catharines. Some issues going on there with uh, with inspectors. But again, we would look at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Kitchener, Waterloo, we're kind of getting out to. St. Tom, London, Woodstock. And then your typical like GTA for custom stuff for clients that are uh, existing clients of yours or, 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 or mine that uh, are looking to do some conversions, let's say in Toronto, Mississauga, Brampton. We'll definitely, we'll go out and have a look. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess if somebody's interested, then we'll we'll leave your number or your contact info at the end. They can they can reach out. Let's 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 switch and pivot a little bit. I will say like I sometimes I love when people are humble because I, I will say without necessarily saying what you have, Lee is much 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 more successful than me in terms of what what he has in terms of assets under management and acquisitions and whatnot. Even though I want to say you know. It's an honor, obviously, to learn from you. You've got lots, lots of wisdom. And let's, let's talk about the investment piece, though. Like, why did you get into real estate investing specifically before the whole construction stuff? So I got into investment, I guess, a while back when I was working at one of my full-time jobs. I was watching a lot of, a lot of the wealthier people that was a repeat, it was a pattern. The majority of the, so the, my, my, one of my previous jobs was, a, I guess, a controller at a financial slash it was a financial accounting, a software company. I oversaw the, uh, the software and IT side of stuff as a controller. And it seemed that, that a lot of the wealthier people had, and, and all the people had more time too. They were there again, they were much, much older. And this is going back quite some time ago, but they all had one thing in common. It was they all came from real estate and some were developers and some were new home builders. The, the one piece that really stood out to me is these guys on their, let's say, bottom lines, there, there were many, many, many zeros after their ones and twos and tens or whatever it was. But it seemed that the same reoccurring people that always owned had the highest equity and had the most amount of cash flow. So it was something that I wanted to get into. I didn't directly get into that. I got more into the, to the new home building a while back, probably going back. I want to say it was like 2002. I built my first, what did I build back then? I think it was six new custom homes. That was my first project and it was a complete flop. Um, so I walked away with my shirt and that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> nice. But we finished the project and I kind of went on to another project as well and did that. But it was, uh, it was really someone that offered me the opportunity, I guess, and introduced me to Hamilton. I can't deny that fact, which is why I started. And I just immediately got hooked and addicted to it. And I kept going and I kept my full-time job. I actually just left my full-time job like maybe two years ago. And I loved my full-time job at a great, a great full-time job. But so I just, I kept going with it over the course of, I don't know, was the 10 years or whatever it is. I don't want to say back in 2013, yeah, 12 or 13, something like that. When I first bought my very first rental property in, in Hamilton and I kept going ever since. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single-family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Very cool. That's, that's awesome. I mean, and many people might be asking like, why are you building a property management company, a construction company, and all of these other companies around it, what, what is your answer to that? Because you could just potentially sell everything or live off the cash flow and say, I'm done. Why is that that you're still continuing? Why am I continuing? I actually enjoy what I do. I actually like the people I work with and it's a lot of stress, a lot of headache, a lot of aggravation. And yeah, there are those days where Sometimes I'm like, it's just, it's easier to have that full-time job and go home at five o'clock and shut it down and call it a day. But this is just better. Do you think you could ever retire? No. <laughs> I see, say same, same, right? And I know we've had this conversation a lot, but I don't know if all my listeners know is like, I mean, everyone I think knows that I've left in 2020, but I, I, and I had no plans, but I can't, I don't think I can ever actually just stop right? Like there's no. always just something more like a project or something you want to do or that next goal or when it's all fun, like doing deals and transactions is all fun. It's just on your terms now. It's on exactly. It's on our terms. It's, it, it does end up being more work and it's, but I guess ultimately what I'm, what I really would like is for all these sort of companies to be able to to get passed down to the next person and so forth, right? One, one of my partners or someone to just kind of take the reins and, and run with it. And, but I don't think I'll ever stop. I don't think you'll ever stop. Every time you and I talk, we have a different business. <laughs> idea. I know we're like, we're actually coming up with a midterm rental property management company. <laughs> you heard it for the first time on this podcast, but it is like, I actually love, I love it. Like it's like a passion and I don't think I, I could ever stop, but at least it's like stuff that I don't feel like I work a day in my life and I'm doing this from the cottage. And then when I come down, like we're like our field days are going to like see our properties and, you know, bringing like out JVs to, to lunch and showing them the progress on their stuff. So like, it's all like awesome stuff. Like I don't think I, I could ever sit on the beach and do nothing for more than a week. Like I could do it for a week. And then after that, it gets, gets boring. Yeah. That's about me. I got like a week I could probably break away. And then even though I say I want to go take a summer off or a month off or so, I don't think I can. No, I know. I'm too invested. I'm having too much fun. I want to keep building and keep growing and get into other areas. And we're looking at how like, well, you're 
we're looking at crazy stuff. Like we're looking at some, some much bigger projects. Yeah. Potentially some development stuff. Like there's. Yeah. And then when, when, when does it stop? I don't know. I mean, like my mentor, Harry James, he's like a real estate junkie and he says he's a real estate junkie and I, and I don't think he's ever going to stop either. I think it's like maybe just in our blood, right. To just do the next fun project. And like, it just becomes like, even though there's stresses along the way. And like, I'll tell you like this, the shit that people see on Instagram isn't a hundred percent. Like there's going to be problems and, and some challenges along the way, but in the grand scheme of things, it is extremely exciting and fun. Oh, a hundred percent. And like, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Instagram and it's like, when I think about really what is involved in these projects, it's nothing but problems and, and issues, but you, you figure them out, you deal with them as you go and you learn from those issues potentially or whatever. Like as we're talking, we, we, we put an offer in on a house that we have conditional pending this building inspection. Right, I heard there was a big crack in the side there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's going sideways real fast, like live on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't know. You're probably getting the same messages that I'm getting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, but it's like, I'm so calm about it. You're so calm about it. Yeah. And, and we were going to bring, we didn't even bring it up until like right now. It's like, oh yeah, there's that big, huge crack in the foundation or something. But like, I don't but know. this is all like, for me, this is all common stuff. I've seen that crack. I know where the crack is. I actually have a picture of it. These are all very common things when you're buying a home that's a hundred plus years old, right? Nothing of concern whatsoever. So pretty standard stuff. I guarantee you that the, the person, the GB partner on this one, they're going to be asked they're going to be floored by this. Uh, we'll have to calm them down, talk them off a ledge. Right. But I think for, for what we bought the house for and where it's located, I'm not prepared to walk away. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll deal with the problems. Okay. So, so here's a question though, because like, obviously you've got a ton of experience, obviously you're, you've, you've invested, but you're also coming from a contractor standpoint and having dealt with like huge foundation issues and in, in prior properties. What are some things that like somebody listening to this can at least look forward and determine if it's like an actual big problem? Like what are some actual big problems from a construction standpoint? So good question. And it's, that's, that's actually, it's a hard question to answer. I could probably give you better examples. Okay. So it struck structural is not such a big deal if you have somebody that isn't going to take advantage of the situation for example because you have to look at what the price of let's say that potential beam is to install right how much is that beam and then how much is that labor right and then you do the, the math so i'll give you an example mm-hmm. you walk through that big giant massive house with me on i'm going to say the address but the one that we were doing all the demo on right Mm-hmm. That massive one with all the staircases. Yeah. So I had to bring the owners back there. There was several uh, beams that were completely missing. So we called for an inspection with the engineer. And it turns out that we got to put about six beams in this house. Can't get LVL, so they have to be steel. For people that don't know what LVLs are, it's just basically engineered lumber to support heavier loads. So we're talking six beams, some of them spanning 30 feet, and some of those beams being 10 by 60s, which are about 3,000 pounds of beam. But the client, as bad as that sounds, they're actually getting out of that for about 30 grand. So something like that sounds like it's a really big, oh my God, maybe we should just sell the house and move on. But I haven't dealt with anything that is that big of a deal where I've seen anybody not be able to get through the situation. I've, I've lifted buildings up that were collapsing, pretty close to collapsing. 
uh, we've we've done a lot. So nothing yet has has surprised me to the point where it's like, oh boy, I can't handle this or we can't handle this. Let's bring in other people to do it. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot because I've been doing this for quite some time. We've done everything from underpinning. We've done everything from carbon carbon strapping foundation walls. We've done everything from putting I-beams directly into the set, into the floors of the foundation wall, bottle jacking them into place to push the walls out. Structural beams. We've done everything from engineered trusses uh, to rebuild roofs and loads. So, so far, nothing that surprised me. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask you a series of like a few things that I hear a lot of, and then you just let me know what you think the worst case scenario would be. Okay. You ready? Okay. All right. Knob and tube. Knob and tube, not as bad as people think it is, but insurance companies don't like it. Okay. So what are we looking at? Like if the whole house, let's just call it 2000 square feet needed to be redone. It was all knob and tube. Your whole house. If you're doing like one unit or multiple units. Let's say one unit, just one for unit? And obviously if people need more specifics, they can reach out to you afterwards. Maybe 15,000 bucks. Okay. And what about asbestos? Asbestos could be a big one. The reason that asbestos could be a big one is there's different levels of abatement. I mean, it depends on how far you can go if you want to get into the abatement level. So that can range anywhere from actually a few thousand dollars to a few hundred thousand dollars. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a hard one to figure out on the spot. So they would need to have somebody come out and take a look and see what specifically it is that's asbestos. Correct. So every house in Hamilton, in one way or another, uh, has some form of asbestos, whether it be in one of the old boiler pipes or rads, or whether it be in the plaster and lath or the old tiles, they all have some form of asbestos. The scary truth to that is there is a ministry standard to this. And the ministry standard is that every homeowner is supposed to actually provide a hazardous materials report uh, to their contractor. And then it's supposed to be abated properly. Hmm. Does that even ever happen? Which we do. Yeah, it happens actually. Okay. What about, okay, let's do the next one. Eufy. The the Eufy stuff when they have like on the outside of like, I've seen it in in Welland a couple of times and they have like these holes on the outside of the brick or like whatever it is that's there. And then... It was like, it was something they used back in the day. No? No, I'm not not familiar with that one. All right. Okay. That's a new one. I'm going to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) It's not that common. I just know insurance companies don't love it. Okay. So, and then I think the other one I wanted to ask you about is just like an oil tank. Oh, the oil tank. So most of the oil tanks are in the houses anyways. Different if it's in a commercial facility, because then that could lead you into like a phase two environmental report. Most oil tanks in residential are empty and have been empty for like, I don't know, a very, very long time. If we remove them, we usually just cut wrap them and bring them out. Sometimes we have to cut them into, I don't know, several pieces to get them up the staircases. How they got them down there, I don't know. And then we call the scrap guys to come pick them up. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, cool. And then the last one, like, what about foundation? Like, what do we need to look for? Like, if we see cracks, like are like vertical cracks, horizontal cracks bad? Like, which ones are we specifically trying to see if there is actually a foundation issue or it's just a crack in the wall? So different types of foundations. One of the most common ones in Hamilton is your your cobblestone foundation. And those all, usually when we do those jobs, they have to be, we have to support them either with doing foam spray. We either have to do like double two by six framing to take some of the load off, non-shrink grouting them, a shot create, stuff like that to, to get more rigidity in, into the, the, the crevices. The other one is your 
your typical like block foundation or your board foundation. Block foundation, sometimes when you see cracking, it's just the, the mortar that's separating. Uh, your typical like poured foundation walls, when you see cracking on that, those are probably the easiest ones to repair. So they look the scariest because you'll see like really big cracks and they are foundational issues. But those can be fixed with things like epoxy. They could be fixed just by taking load off. They could be fixed with like non-shrink grout. So they're not as bad as people think. Okay, that's good to know. While you were talking to I, I wanted to ask you about the water too. What if you find water in the basement or like it smells like mold? So every house that I've dealt with on the lower Hamilton Mountain, so like downtown Hamilton. Or just um, probably a lot of older houses in general, right? If it's not in Hamilton, like they likely have something. They do. So there's two ways that we deal with it. If we're doing, let's say, I don't know, call it a bungalow up on the mountain, uh, we'll do exterior waterproofing, which is the proper way to do it. Also much more expensive. Then there's interior waterproofing. I don't like the word interior waterproofing because it's a little bit uh, deceiving. You're not actually waterproofing your house. What you're doing is your water, you're deteriorating the water from actually creating damages to the finishes, but the water actually still coming into the house. You're just redirecting it. Mm. And we do the interior sort of, call it interior waterproofing. I guess it depends if you're going to keep it for a long time or not. So a lot of the houses downtown Hamilton, you can't do exterior waterproofing because you right. can't get the machines so to do it. So you, right. that's, that's, why, zero, right? that's why they, they started doing the interior stuff, mainly from Europe where they just can't get uh, machines, a lot of uh, waterfront uh, canal property type of things. So they started the interior stuff. Uh, some pits or French drains uh, to redirect the water to. Very cool. So, so when you go into a house and you provide a quote, like what are some of the, the main things that you would look at, right? So like, let's just say somebody is interested in making an offer on a, on a property they want to convert it into a duplex, let's just say, or maybe a triplex. Like, are there some like general rules of thumb? Like it's not a $50,000 reno job, let's face it. That was maybe back 10 years ago, but are there some general rule of thumbs, like average cost? Like if they're redoing a 900 square foot basement that they can estimate in part of their quotes or part of their number running that before they go ahead and put in an offer? Yeah, kind of. We used to say, we used to kind of, say it was about a hundred thousand per unit on average basements uh, if for people that are going and, and looking at these homes with their their realtors no offense realtors but i've never done a forty thousand dollar reno to convert a duplex just want to put that out there make sure you're checking your basement heights so legal to code you need six foot five in a basement to finish it a lot of these basements are not six foot five so they have to be dug down that adds tremendous costs so hard to kind of say like what the price is it all depends some Sometimes they're a lot more, obviously. Sometimes they're a lot less. The one thing that we run across a lot with clients is, can we just do a lipstick job? Mm -hmm. They're not as easy to do. I know more and more contractors like myself, they're the better reputable contractors. We're getting away from that stuff because we, we try to pride ourselves on doing a, a good job. We try to pride ourselves on creating safe spaces for one and spaces that tenants are going to enjoy and owners and landlords are not going to have issues with. When we're doing lipsticks and people keep having issues, it's a reflection on our work. So it's not that much more expensive to just do it from beginning all over again and, and have it done proper, especially if you're going to keep the house. Right. Why wouldn't you? So new plumbing, new everything essentially, and new you're splitting everything. the utilities and all that good stuff. So 
So that's good. So that, so a hundred plus is probably where you would start depending on, on the complexity hey, and that kind of thing. The costs have gone up recently, obviously with what's going on in the, the world these days. And yeah. not only that, but there's also, I think it's just more apparent now, but there is an extreme shortage of labor these days, mm-hmm. an extreme shortage of skilled labor. So costs have gone up, obviously. I can tell you like to take a a legal duplex, for example, and put like your, your third or your fourth unit in there. Those are coming back in the mid 300s now, mm-hmm. all the way up to depending on square footage, like we're doing that big one that you came to look at with me, that one with all the staircases, uh, that's a four, we're about half a million dollars. From that one. But again, they're like 30, I think it was like 3,800 square feet or something like that, right? And the numbers have to work, right? This is why you run your numbers backwards. What's the ARV? What do you, what's your purchase price? What's your rental budget? What's your holding costs? And, and how much money are you pulling out at the, at the end? I think is going to be a big key to figure out what rental budget you can even afford if, and if it makes sense to even purchase that property. Right. I find that a lot of people that have been purchasing their houses from, let's say, January to whatever in March or April, they are stuck. Mm-hmm. They're going to be leaving a lot of money. And I actually just spoke with a client this morning who is asking about financing now for construction because it looks like she's probably going to be leaving in about $300,000 on a bungalow. Yeah, that's, that's tough. That's a, that's a big one. That's huge. She doesn't have the credit line to support that even. And she can't sell the house because she's probably going to take a $150,000 loss on selling, right? Mm-hmm. My advice to her was either look for a JV partner, a money partner to come in, someone that has the appetite to give them all the cash flow, whatever you can do, but don't sell. Like don't take the loss and sell, figure it out somehow. Yeah. Even if she could take a JV as like, she could be a 20 percenter and give away 80% or something along those lines. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the details of this, but it doesn't always have to be a 50, 50 if someone's stuck and they need to find the JV. No, that's true. But I, I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of that though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, this is why this is why it's important to run the numbers and then be conservative, right? I mean, even just conservative on the rents, conservative on the ARV. I mean, I, I know we're running our numbers conservative, but like, again, we don't know where the rates are going, but they're going up. Likely, it's just a matter of how much more up are they going to keep they're, going? They're, they're going up, for sure. They're going up. but yeah. And it's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing for, let's say, people that haven't refied or um, or dependent, absolutely dependent on getting their, their capital back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a bad thing for, for, for a lot of people, obviously, but then there's a group of people that I don't think it's a bad thing for. And I think that group of people has been doing this for, for quite some time and they're going to continue to do this, whether the rates are high or low or somewhere in the middle. Um, we're just going to adapt and we're going to figure it out and we're going to continue to go forward. And I know you're in tune with the real estate market and you talk to a lot of people like I do, and you're probably telling your people the same thing, which is now's an amazing time to buy. You can negotiate some stuff that you were never able to negotiate before vendor take backs. You can potentially get like something actually under market. I think the rents are going to go up if anything, but I think you just need to be conservative in in what your exit's going to look like. Because if you're just buying something and doing the renos, I mean, by the time that it finishes, it might be a year later. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to rates, decrease your ARV by 20% or or what you think is going to, to keep you sleeping at night. For sure. But I I do worry about a lot of investors that purchased pre-construction or purchased like flips 
or are purchasing these properties that have no cash flow with the rates going up. This is why like I was a big proponent of saying cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, even if it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars a month, but even if it's like a couple hundred bucks, once you factored into everything and you factored in like a higher interest rate, put a 5% rate, make sure you're still cash flowing. There's going to be, I think some people that are going to do better than others. This is a great opportunity, I think, to create wealth, but it's also an opportunity to make sure that you have the staying power along the way. I agree 100%. And for a lot of a lot of people that that I'm representing are they're they're like vultures right now, waiting on the sidelines to start picking at the people that are going to get uh, that can't continue uh, mm-hmm. because they know what type of hit they're going to take. It's pretty sad, yeah, like in a bad way, but. Like, unfortunately, we're still a business and we, we can't, uh, we can help out a little bit and we have been, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just, it's unfortunate, right? But Yeah. I mean, as a real estate investor, I think there's going to be a ton of opportunities if you've got the ability and the cash and the financing ability to be able to, to pull the trigger on some things. And I don't know how long well, it's going to last for, but. Like we just got a pretty sweet deal on, on that property. Yeah, uh, probably $150,000 less than we would have paid like three months ago, <laughs> which probably. is like insane if you think about it. And we were the only offer. Like it wasn't too long ago. Well, well, really, we don't, you and I have been kind of, we said for four or five months or whatever it was. But in that time, we were like, has to be four units. It doesn't make sense if it's not four units, right? Yeah. Well, this one's not going to be four units. It's going to be three units. But so. it's 150K less than back in February. Well, <laughs> so it, it makes actually, sense. It actually works. Yeah. It actually That's works. the only way it works because like the people drop the price in, in like a which, huge amount. Which means the lists that I've been getting, all the three units now are really starting to work again. They're almost working at the point to what the four units were working at at the, at the high peak. So it just, there's more opportunity now, I think. Yeah. I also think it's important that like, and I know we did this and we are continuing to do this, but like to pivot into some of the bigger stuff that you can actually control with a new MLI select CMHC exit program option. Like there is like, I'm always about control and how to mitigate some of the downsides, but I, I like the big stuff. I like the stuff where you can buy something that's like vacants convert it into some residential units and like exit with MLI. I think that's a great strategy. I mean, it's, they're far and few between, but we found one for sure that we've, we've jumped on. Yeah. That one's one. closed. One's, one's in con- under contract. After when we decided what we wanted to do with it, but I'm glad I'm already, I'm on, I'm already on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But it's cool. Yeah. It's like, it's a good opportunity. I mean, and I don't know what we're going to like. I, I like it. Like is this may be our future office for, for. Oh, the new one. The new yeah. one, yes. The yeah, one like, under which contract. other one are you talking? Are you talking about the one with the, the crackheads? That's all of them. <laughs> That's all of them. Uh, we found, we have some special videos from today, by the way. Oh, I would love to see them. So we, we bought this building. We won't say exactly what the address is, but I think most of you might know if you've come out to one of our It rhymes houses. with Martin Street. <laughs> <laughs> and we just put some cameras up there. And so I, I told them to send me all of the like, just because like you got to have some entertainment along the way. So uh, there's some interesting people there. But you know what? You're, you're also working on the building across the street. The block will be revitalized. It's just like a very up, up and coming, not yet there uh, place with some interesting people along the way. But it makes for good entertainment. But I, I will tell you that like 
ultimately as a real estate investor, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers have to work and the numbers do work. So if there's a few crackheads living on the roof of that building, well, so be it. And I'm excited to see they'll, they'll leave so they'll leave soon enough. <laughs> that, that what the numbers the numbers really do work on on that one. Like yeah. Man, the numbers work on that one. So I'll I'll put it out there. If you guys have like an interest in doing a project on your homes and you want to come and see these projects, let us know. Lee will give you his contact info. And then as he's looking at your project and in order to give a quote, then we can take you to this one. It's it's something, but it's going to be fun. It's worth the drive. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Okay. Awesome. Well, I mean, I told you half an hour and I think it's been more than a half an hour. So the next part of the podcast is lightning round. I'll have to get you to come back a second time for your second podcast ever. So we can talk about everything else, but are you ready to play the lightning round? I don't know what that is, but sure. Okay. (laughs) So this actually might be a little hard for you. We'll see what happens. You'll know why I read this in a second, but all right. So everybody gets the same five questions. So the first question is, what is your favorite real estate investing book? The sad truth is I've actually never read one. That's Well, that's why I said it was hard because I actually would be shocked if you're like this book. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's all good, man. It's all good. Education by action. Love it. All right. Question number two. Now, I know you don't listen to my podcast because you've made that very clear, but aside from that, do you listen to any other podcasts? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, number three. What do you do for fun aside from work in real estate? What do I do for fun? Well, I love my motorcycles. I love my cars. And to be honest with you, I actually love cooking. Okay, awesome. What's your favorite meal to make? My favorite meal? I don't really have one. I actually, well, maybe seafood, although I don't eat it. I love to cook it. You don't eat it, but you cook it? Yeah, I don't, I don't eat seafood, but I love to cook it, which is weird. Everybody, yeah, like, Awesome. It's pretty cool stuff with seafood. People seem to love it, <laughs> okay. but I don't eat it. And then I do a lot of smoked stuff on the smoker. So that stuff I eat. So yeah, I love to cook. And I think your wife just bought you a new charcoal barbecue too, right? To make some good steak on. That is the best barbecue to date. Nice. And where did I learn that from? From that, I recorded when you guys came down and we made some amazing steak and you're like, okay, well, how do I get one of these? <laughs> I fully stole your salmon recipe. Oh, the cedar oh, salmon. Yeah. It's not my recipe. I can't take like that as mine, but yes, my, my spouse makes really good food too. I think I've done that probably, oh, at least a half. I never liked salmon before, but about a half a dozen times we've done that so far. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's pretty cool. You know, you know what we did? Because we couldn't find uh, a cedar plank the second time. So we actually went to Home Depot to buy a whole big board of cedar. And we just <laughs> cut it <laughs> for the cedar. And it tastes really good too. But there, it was like they were all out that weekend. And we really wanted cedar plank salmon. So we had to go get some actual cedar. <laughs> well, Not the food fun. grade. <laughs> so um, good. When you go to Home Depot to get like stuff for food. All right. Last Fourth question, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your properties, all your assets, all your money, how would you start again? How would I start? I don't know. I would just maybe start again. (laughs) All right. And number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they actually spend that money? It's not what it used to be. No, it's not. And that, uh, so we had a situation like that, remember? Yep. And they had slightly more, actually they had $70,000. So what I would say to them is if they're... Partnering up with, with, with people to get started is not a bad thing. It gets you in the game. Just work with people you make when you can trust. Um, but like 50 grand is better than no grand. But if you can get in, 
Mm -hmm. uh, by partnering up with people, which you should be able to, because there's probably a lot of people out there with 50 grand that want to do this, that probably think I only have 50 grand, I can't get in, but mm -hmm. look for those other people and a smaller piece of a bigger pie. I mean, somebody listening to this might have 50 grand and they might have two T4 income or income jobs or one T4 income jobs that qualifies that somebody else might not qualify for and they can bring them a lot of the other cash. So there's solutions. That's a great answer. Well, we were um, looking for, we were looking for those people, remember? Yes. Financing, I think is, is if I had to put like somebody to bring in financing and somebody to bring in money and then one person can only bring one or the other, the financing is going to be the one I would pick. And then I would get private money for the money because it's easier to find money than it is to get a good per, like to be able to finance, not for the entry, but for the exit. A hundred percent. All Yeah. All day long. I would take somebody that can qualify and get, get mortgages that, that has huge value these days. And then we go to our mortgage brokers and we're like, Hey, let's do some private money. If the numbers work, the numbers work. You got to run your numbers, of course, because private money is not as cheap, but yeah, agreed. All right. So that was the lightning round. Thank you for playing. Where can my listeners reach out and find out more or reach out to you if they wanted to talk to you about investing or construction? So just give me a call. My phone number is 416-525-5951. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thanks very much for being on the podcast. I'll have Thanks you for back me. for your second podcast ever soon. <laughs> because we've got lots more to cover. <laughs> And I'll see you in the office on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I'm only coming for two days. I'm coming back up. So, <laughs> Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.